0: Represents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, The Juggler of Our Lady. The Starring Players, this is Ronald Coleman, and this is Nelson Eddy. The Esther Screen Guild players welcome you, and we hope your entire family and all your friends are listening in. For tonight is the long-awaited night in our show, the night when we present once again our beautiful and well-loved Christmas story, The Juggler of Our Lady, starring Nelson Eddy and Ronald Coleman. John Nesbitt, the famous commentator, wrote this adaptation of Anatole France's dramatic legend, and we thought it so beautiful a Christmas tale that several years ago we asked John's permission to perform it. Lady Esther is proud to bring it to you again tonight. And now, Ronald Coleman is here to bring you the story of The Juggler of Our Lady and a Nelson Eddy to play and sing the role of the kindly monk... who befriends the poor juggler. The special musical score will be played by Wilbur Hatch's Augmented Orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, The Juggler of Our Lady.
1: In the days when the world was young... There lived in France a man of no importance. Everyone said he was a man of no importance, and he firmly believed this himself. For he was just a poor, traveling juggler who could not read or write, who went about from town to town following the little country fairs and performing his tricks for a few pennies a day. His name was Barnaby. When the weather was beautiful and people were strolling about the streets, this juggler would find a clear space in the village square spread a strip of old carpet out on the cobblestones, and on it he would perform his tricks for children and grown-ups alike. Now Barnaby, although he knew he was a man of no importance, was an amazing juggler. First he would only balance a tin plate on the tip of his nose. But when the crowd had collected, he would stand on his hands and juggle six golden balls in the air at the same time, catching them with his feet. And sometimes, when he would juggle twelve sharp knives in the air, the villagers would be so delighted that a rain of pennies would fall on his strip of carpet. And then, when his day's work was over, and he was wearily resting his aching muscles, Barnaby would collect the pennies in his hat, kneel down reverently, and thank God for the gift. Always the people would laugh at his simplicity, and everyone would agree that Barnaby would never amount to anything. But all this is about the happy days in Barnaby's life, the springtime days, when people were willing to toss a penny to a poor juggler. But when winter came, Barnaby had to wrap his juggling equipment up in the carpet and trudge along the roads, begging a night's lodging in farmers' barns or entertaining the servants of some rich nobleman to earn a meal. And Barnaby never thought of complaining. He knew that the winter and the rains were as necessary as the spring sunshine, and he accepted his lot. For how, Barnaby would say to himself as he trudged along, could such an ignorant fellow as myself hope for anything better? Now, one year in France, there was a terrible winter. It began to rain in October, and there was hardly a patch of blue in the sky by the end of November. Yes, a terrible winter. The poor people huddled in their thatched huts and slowly starved away. And it is said that the wolves came down out of the mountains... and ranged through the icy streets of Paris itself. As you can imagine what all this did to the little vaudeville entertainer... whom this story is about. On an evening in early December, at the end of a dreary wet day... poor Barnaby trudged along a winding country road. Sad and bent. Carrying under his arm the golden balls and knives... wrapped up in his old carpet... Then, as he slept along in the mud, a faint sound came to Barnaby's ears over the rain and the wind. Someone was coming up the road, and in spite of the storm, was singing as happily as if it were a day in June. Barnaby stopped and listened, with the rain running down to the tip of his short little nose. then, through the mist, Barnaby saw a strange sight. Coming slowly around a bend in the road was a fat white mule. And on the mule's back, with his legs sticking almost straight out on each side, was a young monk. Now and then, the young monk would bang the mule's side with his heel, and then go on singing into the storm with all his might. Barnaby waited. And then, as the mule came alongside of him, he ran along in the mud... While the young monks sang on as cheerfully as
2: alive.
1: The monk stopped, looked down, and there was Barnaby hopping along near the mule's tail, staring at him. The monk smiled at him and called,
2: It's going to be a cold night, Brother Juggler.
1: And Barnaby said, his teeth chattering, Yes, indeed, sir. Very cold indeed.
2: Well, how would you like to spend the night at the monastery, hmm?
1: Oh, if I could only earn my lodging. But would they let an ignorant fellow like myself enter such a holy place?
2: <laughs> ignorant? have one behind me on the mule, friend. And the three of us, you and the mule and I, will soon be as warm as toast. For are we not all ignorant compared to God? Now to the Lord sing praises all you will.
0: continue the story of the juggler of Our Lady, I'd like to ask you to listen to a brief word from our hostess, Lady Esther.
3: Do you want to know what one of the most wonderful gifts of all can be to the man who's going away? It's to see the one he loves looking her very best, looking her most attractive. And why do I say that? Because, you see, when he's far away and lonely, it's his memory of her that will mean most to him. Yes, the memory of her looking fresh and young and lovely will cheer him up and be more precious to him than any ordinary gift could be. So don't deprive your man of that pleasure. Let him remember you looking your most attractive and let him find you even more attractive when he comes home again. Now there's nothing that can add more to your appearance, nothing that can make you more unforgettably lovely to him than a soft, smooth skin. But that doesn't mean you have to go out and buy a lot of different kinds of beauty preparations. Today, all you need for fresh, young-looking skin is just one cream. Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream. Now, I don't say that Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream is the only cream that will bring you results. But I do say that Lady Esther Face Cream, this one cream by itself, will take care of the four important needs of your skin. And I say that if you use it faithfully every morning and every night, you'll soon see a smoother, fresher, more clean-looking skin. You see, Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream thoroughly cleans your skin. It softens your skin and relieves dryness. It makes your skin look lovelier by helping nature refine the pores. And finally, as though all that weren't enough, it leaves a smooth, flattering base for powder. So, if you want to make the memory of you that he carries away with him a very lovely memory, start using Lady Esther Four Purpose Space Cream.
0: And now, Ronald Coleman and Nelson Eddy. Continue with the Lady Esther Screen Guild Players' presentation of The Juggler of Our Lady.
1: Well, that night Barnaby found himself seated at the Great Candlelit Dining Hall of the Monastery. Although, of course, he sat at the bottom of the long table together with the serpents and beggars, Barnaby thought he had never seen such a wonderful place in his life. Everybody was laughing and telling old-fashioned jokes... And there were enormous steaming pasties standing about everywhere on the table, and huge tankards of creamy foaming ale, and great pitchers of homemade wine. And, well, Barnaby just sat and ate and drank more than he ever had in his life. And then, to cap it all, his friend the monk, now in a fine dry robe, and just as merry as ever, was standing up to sing for the assembled company. Balthazar's song, which tells the tale of one of the three wise men journeying out of the east to Bethlehem.
2: Must lose my way Without a guide I should
1: as the singer sat down again, suddenly everybody looked at Barnaby, for he had risen trembling and was running clear around the table to where the lordly abbot sat at the head, and there Barnaby sank to his knees, Father grant my prayer, let me stay in this wonderful place and work for you, I cannot hope to become one of you, I am too ignorant, but let me work in the kitchen and the fields and worship in the chapel the monk who had met Barnaby on the road turned to the abbot. This is a good man, simple and pure of heart. So the abbot nodded, and Barnaby that night put his juggling equipment under the cot in his cell and decided that never again would he go back to his old profession. And in the days that followed, everyone smiled at the eager way he scrubbed the floors and labored through the buildings, and everyone smiled at his simplicity. As for Barnaby, his face beamed with happiness from morning until night, until, until two weeks before Christmas. Then, Barnaby's joy suddenly turned to misery. For around him, he saw every man preparing a wonderful gift to place in the chapel on Christmas. The leader of the monks had written a scholarly book in Latin which he was going to dedicate to God on Christmas Day. And there was Brother Maurice, who had the art of illuminating copies of the Bible, With gold and silver and rare enamels, he would place exquisite miniature paintings on the corner of each page. And Brother Marbode was completing a marvellous statue of Christ. This fine artist spent all his days in carving images in stone, so that his beard, his eyebrows and hair were always white with stone dust. And this Christmas, he was completing one of his most inspiring works. Then there was Brother Ambrose, who wrote music, and who had completed scoring a great mass to be played on the organ during Christmas services. And Brother Joseph, who had trained the choir for weeks in an arrangement of chorales. All around, those educated, trained artists followed their work, each one of them readying a beautiful gift to dedicate to God on Christmas Day. But what about Barnaby? He could do nothing. I am but a rough man, unskilled in the arts. And I can write no book, offer no painting, or statue, or poem. Alas, I have no talent. I have no gift. Worthy of the day. So Barnaby sank deep into sadness and despair. At night he could no longer sleep, but tossed on his mattress and stared at the ceiling overhead. At last Christmas Day came, and the chapel was resplendent with the gifts of the brothers. The giant organ rang with the new music, the choir sang the chorals, the candles glittered around the great new statue. But Barnaby wasn't there. He was in his tiny cubicle, praying forgiveness for having no gift to offer. Then a strange thing happened. On the evening of Christmas Day, when the chapel should have been deserted, one of the monks came running, white-faced and panting with exertion, into the private office of the abbot. He threw open the door without knocking, seized the abbot by the arms. Father, a frightful thing is happening. The most terrible sacrilege ever to take place is going on right in our own chapel. Come, come. Together, the two portly men ran down the corridors, burst through a door, and came out on the balcony at the rear of the chapel. The monk pointed down toward the altar. The abbot looked, turned ashen in color.
2: He is mad!
1: For down below, in front of the altar, was Barnaby. He had spread out his strip of carpet, and kneeling reverently upon it, was actually juggling in the air twelve golden balls. He was giving his old performance, and giving it beautifully his bright knives, the shining balls, the tin plate balanced on the tip of his nose. And on his face was a look of adoration and joy. We must seize him at once, cried the abbot, and turned for the door. But at that moment, a light filled the church, a brilliant beam of light coming directly from the altar, and both the monks sank to their knees, For as Barnaby knelt exhausted on his carpet, they saw the statue of the Virgin Mary move. She came down from her pedestal, and coming to where Barnaby knelt, she took the blue hem of her robe and touched it to his forehead, gently drying the perspiration that glistened there. Then the light dimmed. And up in the choir balcony... The monks were joined by the brother who had befriended Barnaby. His eyes were moist with joy as he perceived the miracle below. He turned and spoke to the abbot.
2: God has accepted the only gift he had to make.
1: And the abbot slowly nodded. Blessed are the simple in heart, for they shall see God.
0: Thank you, Nelson Eddy. That was magnificent. We planned a program of laughs and chuckles for you next Monday night. It was one of our most successful stage plays and also a most entertaining picture, The Male Animal. Our stars will be Olivia de Havilland, Joel McCrae, and Jack Carson. Ronald Coleman can now be seen in the metro golden Mayor picture, Random Harvest. Nelson Eddy appeared tonight through the courtesy of the makers of Old Gold Cigarettes. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen to Wilbur Hatch, John Nesbitt, for their splendid contributions to this Christmas program. And now, as a sort of surprise holiday gift, Nelson Eddy returns to bring us a wonderful song which he has sung on our Christmas program for the past several years. A song which we have come to regard as a great Yuletide tradition. Ladies and gentlemen, Nelson Eddy, the choir and the orchestra, in the Lord's Prayer. Nelson Eddy and Ronald Coleman. The Screen Guild players are presented by Lady Esther, who wishes you good night and Merry Christmas. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.